Greetings and salutations. I am Ken Barrios, your success coach. I hope you unleash your talents and maximize your impact without compromising your time. It is my pleasure to read the 16 Laws of Success by Napoleon Hill, written in 1928 and now public domain. My hope is that you will take from these small segments of reading the insight and wisdom of a philosophy that has over a hundred years of practical experimentation. With that said, let us begin. Second, you of course understand that the only way to get happiness is by giving it away to others. The same applies to the development of initiative. You can best develop the, this essential quality in yourself by making it your business to interest those around you in doing the same. It is a well-known fact that a man learns best that which he endeavors to teach others. If a man embraces a certain creed or religious faith, the first thing he does is to go out and try to, quote, sell it to others. And in exact proportion to the extent to which he impresses others, does he impress himself. In the field of salesmanship, it is well-known fact that no salesman is successful in selling others until he has made a good job of selling himself. Stated conversely, no salesman can do his best to sell others without sooner or later selling himself that which he is trying to sell to others. Any statement that a person repeats over and over again for the purpose of inducing others to believe it, he also will come to believe, and his and this holds good whether the statement is false or true. You can now see the advantage of making it your business to talk initiative, think initiative, eat initiative, sleep initiative, and practice initiative. By doing, you are becoming a person of initiative and leadership. For it is well-known fact that people will readily and willingly and voluntarily follow the person who shows by his actions that he is a person of initiative. In the place where you work or community which you live, you come in contact with other people. Make it your business to interest every one of them who will listen to you in the development of initiative. It will not be necessary for you to give your reasons for doing this, nor will it be necessary for you to announce the fact that you are doing it. Just go ahead and do it. In your mind, you will understand, of course, that you are doing it in business it because this practice will help you and will, at least, do those whom you influence the same practice no harm. If you wish to try an experiment that will prove both interesting and profitable to you, pick out some person of your acquaintance whom you know to be a person who never does anything that he is not expected to do and begin selling him your idea of initiative. Do not stop by merely discussing the subject once. Keep it up every time you have a convenient opportunity. Approach the subject from a different angle each time. If you go at this experiment in a tactful and forceful manner, you will soon observe a change in the person whom you are trying to experiment. And you will still observe something else of more importance still. You will observe a change in yourself. Do not fail to try this experiment. You cannot talk initiative to others without developing a desire to practice it yourself. Through the operation of the principle of auto-suggestion, every statement that you make to others leaves its imprint on your own subconscious mind. And this holds whether good whether your statements are false or true. You have often heard the saying, quote, He who lives by the sword will die by the sword. Quote. Properly interpreted, this simply means that we are constantly attracting to ourselves and weaving into our own character and personalities those qualities which our influence is helping to create in others. 
If we help others develop the habit of initiative, we, in turn, develop the same habit. If we sow the seeds of hatred and envy and discouragement in others, we, in turn, develop these qualities in ourselves. This principle, through which a man comes to resemble his own nature, those whom he most admires is fully brought out in Hawthorne's story, The Great Stone Face, a story that every parent should have his offspring read. We come now to the next step of our description of the exact procedure that you must follow in developing initiative and leadership. Third, before we go further, let it be understood what is meant by the term, quote, leadership. It is used in connection with the reading of this course on the laws of success. There are two brands of leadership, and one of them is a deadly and destructive, as the other is helpful and constructive. The deadly brand, which leads not to success, but to absolute failure, is the brand adopted by pseudo-leaders who force their leadership on unwilling followers. It will not be necessary here to describe this brand or to point out the fields of endeavor in which it is practiced, with, with the exception of the field of war, and in this field we will mention but one notable example, that of Napoleon. Napoleon was a leader. There can be no doubt about this, but he led his followers and himself to destruction. The details are recorded in the history of France and the French people, where you may study them if you choose. It is not Napoleon's brand of leadership that is recommended in this course, although I will admit that Napoleon possessed all the necessary fundamentals for great leadership, excepting one he lacked the spirit of helpfulness to others as an objective. His desire for the power that comes through leadership was based solely on self-aggrandizement. His desire for leadership was built upon personal ambition and not upon the desire to lift the French people to a higher and nobler station in the affairs of nations. The brand of leadership that is recommended through this course of instruction is the brand which leads to self-determination and freedom and self-development and enlightenment and justice. This is the brand that endures, for example, and as a contrast with the brand of leadership through which Napoleon raised himself into prominence, consider our own American commoner, Lincoln. The object of his leadership was to bring truth and justice and understanding to the people of the United States. Even though he died a martyr to his belief in his brand of leadership, his name has been engraved upon the heart of the world in terms of loving kindness that will never bring aught but good to the world. But Lincoln and Napoleon led armies in warfare. But the objects of their leadership were as different as night is different from day. If it would be you, uh, you a better understanding of the principles upon which the reading course is based, you could easily be cited to leadership of today, which resembles both the brand that Napoleon employed and which Lincoln made the foundation of his life work. But this is not the essential. Your own ability to look around and analyze men who take the leading parts in all the lines of endeavors is sufficient to enable you to pick out the Lincoln as well as the Napoleon types. Your own judgment will help you decide which type you prefer to emulate. There can be no doubt in your mind as to the brand of leadership that is recommended in this reading course, and there should be no question in your mind as to which of the two brands described will adopt as your brand. We make no recommendations on the subject, however, for the reasons of that reading this course has been prepared as a means of laying before its students the fundamental principles upon which power is developed and not as a preachment on ethical conduct, 
We present both the constructive and the destructive possibilities of the principle outlined in this course, that you may become familiar with both, but we leave entirely to your own discretion the choice and application of these principles, believing that your own intelligence will guide you to make a wise selection. Break, break. I would like to have a quick word from our sponsor. Thank you for your time. Let's get back to the reading. Penalty of leadership. In every field of human endeavor, he that is first must perpetually live in the white light of publicity, whether the leadership is be vested in a man or any manufactured product, emulation, and envy are ever at work. In art, in literature, in music, in industry, the reward and the punishment are always the same. The reward is widespread recognition, the punishments, fierce denial, and detraction. When a man's work becomes a standard for the whole world, it also becomes a target for the shafts of envious fell, of envious few. If his work be merely mediocre, he will be left severely alone. If he achieve a masterpiece, it will set million tongues a-wagging. Jealousy does not protrude its forked tongue at the artist who produces a commonplace painting. Whatsoever you write or paint or play or sing or build, no one will strive to suppress or slander you unless your work be stamped with the seal of a genius. Long, long after a great work or a good work has been done, those who are disappointed or envious continue to cry out that it cannot be done. Mean voices were raised against the author of The Law of Success before the ink was dry on the first textbooks. Poison pens were released against both the author and the philosophy the moment the first edition of the course was printed. Spiteful little voices in the domain of art were raised against our own Whistler as a Montblanc. Long after the big world acclaimed him the greatest artistic genius, multitudes flocked to Baruth to worship at the musical shrine of Wagner, while the little group of those whom he had dethroned and displaced argued angrily that he was no musician at all. The little world continued to protest that Fulton could never build a steamboat, while the big world flocked to the riverbanks to see his boat steam by. Small, narrow voices cried out that Henry Ford would not last another year, but above and beyond the din of their childish prattle, Ford went silently about his business and made himself the richest and most powerful man on earth. The leader is assailed because he is a leader, and the effort to equal him is merely added proof of his leadership. Failing to equal or excel, the follower seeks to depreciate and to destroy, but only confirms the superiority of which he strives to supplant. There is nothing new in this. It is as old as the world and old as the human passions, envy, fear, greed, ambition, and the desire to surpass, and it all avails nothing. If the leader truly leads, he remains the leader. Master poet, master painter, master workman, each in turn is assailed, and each holds his laurels through the ages. That which is good or great makes itself known, no matter how loud the clamor of denial. A real leader cannot be slandered or damaged by lies of the envious because all such attempts serve only to turn the spotlight on his ability, and real ability always finds a generous following. Attempts to destroy real leadership is love's labor's lost because that which deserves to live 
lives. We come back now to the discussion on the third step of the procedure that you must follow in developing the initiative and leadership. This third step takes us back for a review of the principle of organized effort as described in the preceding lessons of this course. You have already learned that no man can accomplish enduring results of far-reaching nature without the aid or cooperation of others. You have already learned that when two or more persons ally themselves in any undertaking in a spirit of harmony and understanding, each person in the alliance thereby multiplies his own powers of achievement. Nowhere is this principle more evidence than in the industry or business in which there is perfect teamwork between the employer and employees. Wherever you find this teamwork, you find prosperity and goodwill on both sides. Cooperation is said to be the most important word in the English language. It plays an important part in the affairs of the home, in the relationship of man and wife, parents and children. It plays an important part in the affairs of state. So important is this principle of cooperation that no leader can become powerful or last long who does not understand and apply it in his leadership. Lack of cooperation has destroyed more business enterprises than have all the other causes combined. In my 25 years of active business experience and observation, I have witnessed the destruction of all manner of business enterprises because of dissension and lack of application of this principle of cooperation. In the practice of law, I have observed the destruction of homes, divorce cases without end, as a result of the lack of cooperation between man and wife. In the study of the histories of nations, it becomes alarmingly obvious that the lack of cooperative effort has been a curse to the human race all back down the ages. Turn back the pages of these histories and study them, and you will learn a lesson of cooperation that will impress us indelibly upon your mind. You are paying, and your children and your children's children will continue to pay for the cost of the most expensive and destructive war the world has ever known, because nations have not yet learned the part of the world cannot suffer without damaging and suffering the whole world. This same rule applies without telling effect in the conduct of modern business and industry. When an industry becomes disorganized and torn asunder by the strikes and forms of disagreement, both the employers and employees suffer irreparable loss. But the damage does not stop there. This loss becomes a burden to the public and takes on the form of higher prices and scarcity of necessities of life. The people of the United States who rent their homes are feeling the burden at this very moment of the lack of cooperation between contractors and builders and the workers. So uncertain has the relationship between the contractors and their employees become that the contractors will not undertake a building without adding to the cost an arbitrary sum sufficient to protect them in the event of labor troubles. This additional cost increases rents and places unnecessary burdens upon the backs of millions of people. In this instance, the lack of cooperation between a few men places heavy and almost unbearable burdens upon millions of people. The same evil exists in the operation of our railroads. Lack of harmony and cooperation between the railroad management and the workers has made it necessary for the railroads to increase their freight and passenger rates. And this, in turn, has increased the cost of life necessities to almost unbearable proportions. Here, again, lack of cooperation between a few leads to hardship for millions of people. These facts are cited without effort or desire to place the responsibility of the lack of cooperation since the object of the reading of this course is to help its students get the facts. It may be truthfully stated 
that the high cost of living that everywhere manifests itself today has grown out of a lack of application of the principle of cooperative leadership. Those who wish to decry present systems of government and industrial management may do so, but in the final analysis, it becomes obvious to all except those who are not seeking the truth that the evils of government and of industry have grown out of the lack of cooperation. Nor can it be truthfully said that all the evils of the world are confined to the affairs of state and industry. Take a look at the churches, and you will observe the damaging effects of lack of cooperation. No particular church is cited, but analyze any church or group of churches where lack of coordination of effort prevails, and you will see an evidence of disintegration that limits the service those churches could render. For example, take the average town or small city where rivalry has sprung up between the churches and notice what has happened, especially those towns in which the number of churches is far out proportion to the population. Through harmonized effort and through cooperation, the churches of the world could wield sufficient influence to render war an impossibility. Those through this same principle of cooperative effort, the churches and leaders of the business and industry could eliminate rascality and sharp practices, and all this could be brought without about speedily. These possibilities are not mentioned in a spirit of criticism, but only as a means of illustrating the power of cooperation and to emphasize my belief in the power and the potential power of the churches of the world. So there will be no possibility of misinterpreting to, <laughs> No possibility of misinterpretation of my meaning in the reference that I have made here to the churches. I will repeat it, that which I have so often said in person, namely, that it had not been for the influence of the churches, no man would be safe in walking down the street. Men would be at each other's throat like wolves and civilization would still be in a prehistoric age. My complaint is not against the work that the churches have done, but the work that they could have done through leadership that was based upon the principle of coordinating cooperative effort, which would have carried civilization at least a thousand years ahead of where it is today. It is not yet too late for such leadership. That you may more fully grasp the fundamental principle of cooperative effort, you are urged to go to the public library and read The Science of Power by Benjamin Kidd. Out of the scores of volumes of volumes by some of the soundest thinkers of the world that I have read during the past 15 years, no single volume has given me such a full understanding of the possibilities of cooperative effort as has this book. In recommending that you read this book, it is not my purpose to endorse the book in its entirety, for it offers some theories with which I am not in accord. If you read it, do so with an open mind and take from it only that which you feel you can use to the advantage in achieving the object of your definite chief aim. The book will stimulate thought, which is the greatest service that any book can render. As a matter of fact, the chief object of this reading course on the laws of success is to stimulate deliberate thought, particularly the brand of thought that is free from bias and prejudice and is seeking the truth no matter where or how it, it, or where it may be found. Thank you for your time today. I hope you learned as much as I did in this reading. If you ever desire to connect with me, you can email me at kb at keybravo.com. That is kb at keybravo.com. Have a wonderful day and may you be blessed with all the success you endeavor.